Hey everyone, welcome back to the Cube and Chaos podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Max, and I am joined by my co-host, as always, Jakob. And yeah, we are here with quite a few things to talk about today. Hello, everybody. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, glad we're back. Yeah, about time. And so one of the biggest changes that is happening is we have someone new in charge of the Magic Online. David McDarby, if you've heard of him, I believe is now the product manager for Magic Online. And that's really big news because it means he has just a major impact on all the kinds of magic we like to play on MTGO. So for those of you who've watched the Commander Versus series, he used to be on that. I really, really liked watching him on there. Super entertaining guy. And, you know, in fitting fashion, he's also the curator of the Live the Dream Cube, which is like a very Commander-focused environment for a cube in particular. Trying to emulate that experience in a cube. So really working on the design of a cube to get a specific play experience he's looking for so like like really cool design from uh, experience magic personality having such a person in charge of magic online is certainly good news for for cubes like absolutely yeah when like recently we have had somebody uh on our discord say they are designing their first cube and they have renewed respect for people who have done it because it's quite a bit of work and knowing that uh, McDarby has designed quite a few cubes, you know that cubes are close to his heart and uh, we don't need to be afraid that uh, <laughs> it will disappear from the alternate play calendar. Yeah, for sure. We did go a while there without any cube events, so it was a little bit difficult to say. Not many announcements either, what was coming up. But it does appear cube, at the very least, will be here to stay, presumably for as long as Magic Online is. And yeah, it's funny too, because Cube and Commander are both such popular formats. We just had Commander Legends not super long ago uh, as like a limited format where you can play Commander. But I wouldn't be surprised if Cube and Commander find even more of a union because McDarby's Cube, like you said, seeks to emulate the Commander experience, but there aren't actual Commanders. Like there's not a command zone being utilized in that. So I wonder if we'll see more of that in the future too. It seems not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, for sure. I'm not not sure how likely that is. I'm not sure how well received overall the commander draft format was on Magic Online. Yeah, that's a good point. It sounds like the people who have gotten a chance to do it in paper have really enjoyed it, but those people seem to be few and far between just because of the effects of COVID. So, yeah. But yeah. So speaking of McDarby, his presence as the Magic Online product manager, implying some good things for the future of Cube. More explicitly, there are some good things he's said about the future of Commander, or at least just a wider card pool on Magic Online. So in the Adventures of the Forgotten Realms article he released, you can't find it very easily if you go to the Magic Online Mothership site. So we can put the link just below this file and we can show you there's this little passage here where he addresses the fact that a bunch of commander cards recently have been missing from Magic Online, especially some really sweet ones that I imagine would be pretty expensive in treasure chests and things like that. And it seems like 
he is committed to getting those cards onto the client, which is just excellent news for people like Jakob and me who want as many cards as possible to be on the client for our cubes. I know Jakob has run into some ancient cards not being yeah. on the client in the past, <laughs> and now, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's even easier to have that happen with the very powerful newer cards. So, Yeah, I think the, the new Commander product cards are um, impacting more cube designs on, on Magic Online than these rather esoteric choices of uh, age-old cards that barely do anything, but uh, <laughs> just tickle my fancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but either way, we're always happy to see the card pool increase in size, right? That's just strict improvement for us as cube designers. So I think we can transition now to that cube calendar that we mentioned. So the way they like to do things generally with the Magic Online cube calendar in particular is they like to keep us in the dark for a while about exactly what's coming up. And I think part of that is to create suspense, but maybe also more even playing field between the people like us who might do a lot of research and the just everyday people who want to jump in for the first time. But it is it is a good point. I never thought about it in that way, but I do really enjoy the experience of hopping into a new cube and everybody else also being new to it. Because oh, yeah. ah, who was that? Somebody I was just stream of very often. Ah, it's Raphael Levy. Yes, yes, yes. Watch the stream very often, but he's not into cube. And mm -hmm. his main reason for not being into cube is like paper cube with people. That person building the cube always has such a huge leg up to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And he dislikes this not level playing field, basically. That yeah. the cube curator basically has the form figured out because they have to. <laughs> and then having to, yeah. It's just, I think it's mostly an emotional thing. Him being obviously very competitive mm -hmm. plays into that, I think. It's really funny because that hasn't really played a part in my experience at all. Like, there have been times where it feels like, oh, I know what I'm doing because I've created this environment. But there have been other times where I'm totally proven wrong and I lose to something that's not even intended to be an archetype. Like, red-green playing the curve of, like, two drops through seven drops. <laughs> yeah. And, I don't know, I feel like... With my cubes in particular, like my win rate has been pretty modest. The times when I'm really able to go nuts feels like it has to be a format that Wizards is putting onto Magic Online. Probably just because with more repetitions, I'm able to figure it out better. But I don't know. Has that been your experience? I know I remember distinctly you crushing at least one Mad Peasant draft. Not close. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I don't know. I... I do feel that I have quite a leg up in, in cubes that I designed, but I also often feel like I have a bigger edge in the first one, two, one or two drafts of a format. So if a mm -hmm. cube is very new on, on Magic Online, I feel like I have, a, I have a good chance. Things are going well, but then all future drafts go much worse. Same for new formats. I feel like I'm not putting into the time to get into the nitty gritty, the like real depth of formats i think i'm not playing formats for long enough but the very fresh experience of benefit thing yeah i think another interesting thing to factor in particularly with the uh, magic online player base is it's a pretty common phenomenon for the less competitive players 
to want to play the most right at the beginning. And then also you know, that, yes. Right. And then sometimes they do well, sometimes they don't. But generally the grinders, the more competitive players, do stick around and then they end up more familiar with things as time goes on. And so you can find that formats are not only softer at the beginning because people are still figuring things out, but also just the player base. So it's just kind yep. of an interesting confound. Well, both for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So speaking of that, right now the cube <laughs> that is on Magic Online is probably not one that too many people who still play Magic Online are unfamiliar with it because it is Vintage Cube, possibly the most popular event on Magic Online. I'm gonna need a like fact check for that, but uh... <laughs> I'm pretty sure that is true. At least when I look at uh, Twitch viewers, like when there's mm. the Vintage Cube, Numod, and uh, Caleb get a lot of viewers for that. I think that, I don't know if it's much more than normal, but I think it's more than the normal viewer number. Yeah. And they Sometimes. often stream for longer because they enjoy mm. it. And then there are some people who only basically only stream when Vintage Cube is up, like a friend of the show, Snow Schwartz who I mm. really enjoy watching. He's streaming now again for at least for the time where Vintage Cube is up. And yeah, same with uh, Bolander 42. Yeah, I that's basically, I think that's my most favorite thing about the Vintage Cube. Not mm. the actual cards in it or the play experience, but that it's a cube and that people enjoy it so much and then there, that there's so much content to consume when it's available. I, I don't know, that's, that's the best <laughs> thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I hate it or anything. I already drafted it once again, and I've I've seen you are on a small heater. You drafted it. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's like a really great way of looking at it, though. I think I agree exactly because even if I didn't realize it at first, because I really do enjoy not only just like being able to watch a bunch of streams um but being able to watch streams of my friends and interact with people who are kind of drawn <laughs> drawn back into that magic online trap to play uh some more vintage cube and yeah for you and for me we always like to see you know a variety of events but we have to respect you know the popularity of vintage cube for sure you get people like lsv who don't stream super often who bring a ton of attention to the format, of course. And yeah, <laughs> I am on a small heater, like you mentioned. I have a feeling it's coming to an end shortly, but we'll see. I'm just on my train again of forcing mono red, forcing mono white, not trying to play Sultai at all. <laughs> I think I splashed like an Ancestral Recall, and that was like the most blue I've played in like six drafts or something. And I've like two one for like three of them and trophied for three of them. So I thought that aggro got nerfed because it seemed like what I was trying to do was never open. Like I just always, or almost always ended up missing a bunch of one drops or like removal spells were worse. But according to the cube update, and that's another thing we can link, mono red was supposed to get a boost, which I mean, other than like Ragavan existing, it's not really something I've experienced. So in my one draft I did, it was also a little bit weird. I'm normally very open to playing mono white, mm -hmm. but in that particular draft, I first picked an upheaval, which mm -hmm. is not in my deck anymore. I'm still playing blue though, because of it. 
I weird the Palace Jailer in pick pick one. Pack one, pick one, but the Palace Jailer that I was thinking about taking, but then decided against it because I kind of hate the card. Then I took that. Yeah, disgusting. And then somehow I couldn't get into Mono White. I don't know, I got a few cards for it, but not enough to play Mono White. I don't know, maybe I was drafting Blue for too long, and now I'm like Blue White 3 drop control i don't know it's a very weird thing and i had geist of saint trap tribal no i don't even have that like i i really hope to uh actually it's a four drop tribal more than three drop it's just a terrible deck um, i had huge trouble getting early plays and i think this is, uh i'm happy if this will 2-1 uh probably i'm even happy with the one two <laughs> yeah i mean i've been right there with you i've drafted quite a few bad decks out of like the six that i've had so far i think i've had like one that i actually thought was good (laughs) but just attacking and putting on pressure early can be enough to get people and i'm wondering too i mean one i'm very sad because it sounds like there was a mono white drafter in your pod who didn't value palace jailer pretty highly which probably that's what happened i don't mm, (laughs) just making me uncomfortable but the other thing is i'm wondering if or some kind of like residual effects of like JMM, like making that blade splicer over channel pick and really like signaling that white cards and like board presence are the way to go in Vintage Cube because I don't know, that would explain some of the effects of what we're seeing. Yeah, that, that really could be. I know that uh, of the people I watch, quite a few are valuing the white card always, probably now even a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know there are still some people who refuse to play mono white on principle, um, <laughs> which I can understand. It's not for everyone. I mean, yeah, if you. The experience of playing mono white often is very in, in the over the games. I will say, though, um, and I might, oh, I might have to find the screenshot of this too. Speaking of Blade Splicer over channel, I had an opponent go like turn two channel into Karn plus Battlesphere, and I was obviously just dead. But then game three, they went like turn two channel into, I think it was uh, old Ulamog. And they also had like two or three other creatures on board, and one of them was a Hex Drinker. I won. <laughs> so... <laughs> How did you do that? I have no idea. <laughs> I got extremely lucky. So, so you had a like... Path to Exile or something for the Ulamog or... Yeah, so I had Swords to Plowshares, which was much worse, right? Because I just gave them 10 life. Yeah. And then I managed to, like, claw back into the game with, like, six power flyers, like Spectral Procession and the um, PV card. And it was just the craziest, luckiest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. I really love the Elite Spellbinder PV's card yeah. in basically any form that's legal in. Yeah. It's a really neat one. I'm enjoying it too. Yeah, just it's one of those cards that really plays so nicely on all power levels, basically. Not all, maybe. I mean, I guess you can imagine a, a format where a 3 1 flyer for three by itself is powerful, but um, that's like pretty, pretty small number of cubes, I would say. Right, yeah. Because, like, just the, the slower the format, the less important the two mana text on a single card is. And uh, that's just such sleek design. I really love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is a really nice card. And the fact that, like, even in slower formats, it's still a 3-1 flyer. Like, it's a pretty powerful evasive clock, so. 
But anyway, moving on. So we've mentioned now a couple times the cube calendar. So this is a totally new like term for the alternative play calendar potentially. So it's unclear whether this is replacing the alternative play calendar, at least in terms of terminology, or maybe it's just the more accurate way of describing like the events that are coming up on the side. But it really prompts some big questions for us. And one of them was asked on Twitter. So someone who shares our love of Chaos Draft wanted to know whether the term cube calendar would mean that Chaos Draft wouldn't be coming up on Magic Online anytime soon. Pretty reasonably, in my opinion. And it looks like it will be uh, returning to Magic Online. Chaos will be. But who really knows how long it'll be? That said, though... I feel like it's almost a year now. It's been a very long time since we've had, like, true chaos. Uh, Like, we had Supreme Chaos, like, the last, like, December or something like that. And that, uh, I don't know just doesn't really do it for me <laughs> i mean i had fun with that too but it's not replacing the period yeah like. sure i will say though that is one major um upside of mostly focusing on cubes not having to worry about the supreme events because just in general i <laughs> i'm really not partial to the supreme events and yeah I, I think you like them a little more than i do but i know you're not a huge fan of them either no, I'm not a huge fan. Like it's sometimes I enjoy uh, the the puzzle and folding because I think most of the time they are mostly a puzzle. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree with that. A puzzle that many people are trying to solve, and then oh, yeah. I've got a gross idea for you: <laughs> AFR Supreme Draft. Oh, Everyone no, just... plays red black. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's it's yeah. interesting how how that format um, also seem to get solved relatively quickly oh yeah um so i didn't play very much of that format but i noticed that a trophy leader beers sc also a member of our discord decided to stream it a couple times and yeah he like he said he's drafting red black like every time and i was like okay like this is hyperbole like you know sometimes he has to move off of it and like i watched like four drafts or something and he just played red black every time any trophy yeah. like maybe all of them i don't remember so <laughs> uh, it's just crazy but you can also see it in the cues you can feel it also on yeah. on arena when you play that red black is like super heavily drafted now yeah the word has spread people know uh, normally when something like this happens it's self-correcting people move on to something else but it's not really happening <laughs> as far as i'm aware like red black is still kind of the deck which is just yeah, I think there's bizarre. just two other, like there's white green and white red that can keep up with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they need to be more open than red black, which is a big difference. Right, red yeah. black is much deeper. <laughs> well, going back to chaos, though. So I don't want to get into specifics here because, you know, this is supposed to be a teaser. I don't want to reveal too much. But in the background, Jakob and I have something extremely exciting coming up. Yeah, mainly Max is doing the work <laughs> here, the heavy lifting. Well, uh, I mean, it's going to require uh, everyone involved to, you know, lift at least a little bit. And I'm yeah. 
very much looking forward to how this is going to go. There's even a possibility it'll happen multiple times, but we'll just, we'll, you know, keep things one step at a time for now. And I think you guys are going to be very, very excited with the result. So with that, probably time to go back to that cube calendar term and just to think about the formats that aren't mentioned here. So on Twitter, uh, we did get that mention that chaos will be on Magic Online, but chaos and cube are not the only kinds of events that used to be on the alternative play calendar. And that means we might be missing some. So I know like Battle of the Plains used to be one that we would get every now and then. We've been getting a bunch of Supreme draft formats, but a really popular one that we haven't seen for quite a while would be the flashback drafts. We only usually have a couple different flashback drafts that show up reliably. We usually have triple Zendikar, we usually have triple Innistrad, and triple Konzatark here. But there have been times when we've had many more flashbacks than those. And it's just, it's a little bit sad because it's hard to imagine that that cube calendar is going to leave space for chaos and these other flashbacks that are kind of falling behind. Yeah, I feel like part of the reason for this is that things like remastered, um, Times Remaster, for example, taking the place of that. And mm -hmm. I could imagine them working on similar remastered sets for these well, very beloved flashback drafts. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I believe actually Gavin Verhey had mentioned something along these lines that Time Spiral Remastered was a pretty big hit. I mean, it was sold out in paper very quickly. Yeah, I think we will probably be seeing similar remasters um, coming up. So maybe for like original Ravnica, something like that, that would be sweet. Speaking of flashbacks, I really enjoyed the uh, RGD Ravnica Guild Pack Dissension flashback. I still am hoping to create a cube at some point that does a decent job imitating that format, but we'll see. The other side of the coin, though, is that it seems like McDarby is pretty responsive on Twitter to these issues. So what that means is if you have an opinion, if you want to try to rally support for formats you're worried are being left behind, there is an option, like there is a way to do that. And no, it's not the best way to do that because at the end of the day, it is social media. And that means that people with more followers have more influence, things like that. But, you know, it's better than no way to communicate with the people who are in charge of the Magic Online client. And yeah, that just gives us a little bit of hope for almost like voting, just having a little bit of political efficacy, if you will, in the Magic Online client. Time to transition to Modern Horizons 2. Do you think it was like his, his, uh, one of his first decisions to say Modern Horizons 2 spec baby? Uh, I do. But I also think that from a financial perspective, if I had to guess, I feel like one of the reasons AFR is disliked as much as it is, I mean, there are a lot of things going on here. Like outside of the usual MTG like intellectual property. The fact that there's a bunch of die rolling going on. And another thing is that this is a huge drop off, right? Like this set, so many people have compared it to a core set and it is sort of replacing a core set. It's also playing a bit like Right, exactly. But yeah, 
any set following up MH2 is going to have a rough time because, especially with MH2 only having, what was it, like a few weeks, something like that, on the client before the events were taken down. So you release like one of the best formats possibly ever in Magic and take it down quickly and replace it with something decidedly a little subpar. Uh, it's going to receive hate that it doesn't deserve just for that drop off, I think. But I also have to say that I think our or the general view of that is a little bit skewed because of the reach of people on Twitter and our bubble of following many <laughs> pro players, yeah. watching streams of people who like grind the game quite a bit. And For sure. the experience of most magic players these days is them playing arena and they don't mm. have that contrast. They are playing FR after tricks game, which was mm. a, a good format I would say. And then it feels quite a bit different. Then the complexity drop-off is not quite as strong. And yeah, it's, I mean, it's still different because I've heard many people say that, and that is quite true, that it's not a very high synergy format. Mm -hmm. There's basically four synergy decks, and the rest are just more or less good stuff. Like take right. The problem with the format, though, in my opinion, and the thing that makes it not have such a longevity to me is the color imbalance which is mm -hmm. much worse in Everson Restored. I think in Everson Restored, there's basically blue and green as very good and everything else sucks, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Like, you really need to get lucky with uncommons to have yeah. fun decks in an AFR outside of green and blue. And in, in the new set in Avengers and the Forgotten Realms, <clears throat> the, it's only blue being weaker and yeah. not appealing so much to people. And right. black red being, like, too strong but there's still something in the middle there and therefore i still think it's a better set and i do enjoy the set because right. i and like many people do like a bit of a core set um cal palette cleanser um yeah once every year yeah i actually enjoy core sorts um a decent amount too we had a couple of good ones recently in my opinion i enjoyed m20 quite a bit and m21 wasn't my favorite but i even enjoyed that set a decent amount I play them all, I enjoy them. I won't play them as long as other formats, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was noticing, like, there really are a lot of similarities to Avacyn Restored, like AFR, AVR, even the acronyms are similar. <laughs> but something else I was thinking about, and this is, you know, that kind of a similar drop-off, whether you're going from Strixhaven or from Modern Horizons 2, and my biggest complaint, just generally, there are no smoothing mechanics. So, like, the closest thing you can argue to a smoothing mechanic would be, like, venture into the dungeon, because then, you know, if you're choosing Vandelver first, right, you get a scry. But there's nothing that really helps you mitigate screw or flood, and that means, unfortunately, you have, like, more non-games than you do in other formats. In Strixhaven, you had Learn, which is a really amazing mechanic for limited in particular, not something we've really seen anything like. And I imagine it's something we'll be seeing more of. It was just like too successful for limited, I think, not to return. And yeah, in Modern Horizons 2, we have a ton of cycling. We have basic land cyclers, we have artifact land cyclers, and- We have wheel cyclers. <laughs> right, basically just like, it was difficult for variants to hit you as hard in those formats compared to AFR. 
I think it's interesting that um, <laughs> going back to what you said about like the four best decks, just noticing now, oh yeah, blue isn't in any of those color combinations. So it makes sense that uh, <laughs> it's the weakest color. Yeah, with the four best uh, four best decks, in my opinion, are just two of them are different flavors of black, red, and then <laughs> red, right. white, and green, white. Yeah. These decks are enjoyable, but you don't get into them every time. And yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, going back to Modern Horizons 2. So this set, it's really, it's kind of receiving like the opposite effect of that drop-off to AFR, right? Because... Yeah, tell me why um, you love it so much. I have barely <laughs> played it at all. Like, in the very beginning, we played a sealed together, and mm. then I couldn't play because, well, it's only on, on Magic Online, and I only had my Mac available. Mm -hmm. Playing on this Mac, Magic, like barely works but it's not uh, a nice experience so yeah. i didn't play for a long time there and then now i'm in a state where i'm uh, uh, like feeling too uneasy like if i get into a modern horizon queue i feel like at a very big disadvantage because people Everyone else that are playing there right now they are all super experienced and i'm <laughs> basically new to the format I, have, I, have, I know the cards but i really don't know what to uh prioritize and how to navigate a draft best yeah okay so i think i'll start off by saying like the sealed format is something i've played a bunch of and i enjoyed it a decent amount but i think the draft format's actually much better even though i haven't played very much and one reason for that is just it's a very very synergistic format so you have more control over things that said though <laughs> with my drafts i kept trying to play like blue green or like blue green five color uh like converge basically like decks that you end up playing a lot of the time in sealed so my experience in sealed losing to these like five color decks definitely has like informed what i've tried to do in draft and for the most part i think that makes sense like it's really hard to beat a good five color deck unless you have like the nut like red white modular deck which i think might even be better than like the not red black madness deck it's really crazy if you've played against i think this is a card you were considering for um your peasant cube that two and a white enchantment uh it's like the first collector number in the set or whatever that can return a one drop like reanimate one at the beginning of your end oh, yeah. step um, it's, it's in in the cube yeah i'm not sure if it's well enough supported by one drops but same. yeah well in Modern Horizons 2, it definitely is. You just put like a couple mere scraplings, and unless your opponent has evasion, they basically can't win. <laughs> it's really, really crazy. Yeah. And it's a little bit frustrating to play against for sure, but in general. You match that card together with, uh, with uh, Matura Sands? Yeah. Man, I mean, such a nice experience <laughs> playing against that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like. <laughs> It feels like that's what it's designed to do and constructed. But as for like the limited format, it's still like really similarly insane. Like I just had this experience playing against it where like, okay, I have no enchantment removal and I literally can't do anything to disrupt this. It's like I kill one of their things, they just make the other one bigger. And I'm like that's just <laughs> I'm, I'm dead. <laughs> like turn three or something, I, I can't win. So that experience is not the best not a great argument for it being an amazing format that said it's not often you get to see red white doing something this synergistic and more specifically like in the sealed format 
you just have like a lot of kind of multicolor messes um, splashing for planeswalkers and things like that. Lots of multicolored planeswalkers in the set. And in the draft format, you have really like um, low to the ground, like clean, clear cut archetypes that are distinct. And it's not like there's just one that's straight up better than the rest, which again, that's another nod to AFR. And I 100% like can empathize with your experience as someone who's like reluctant to enter the MH2 queues. Like there's a reason I'm playing Vintage Cube, even though MH2 like I think is a better format. If there were like Phantom queues, I would definitely be drafting MH2 instead. But it's just with the non-Phantom queues, really not uh, a great experience to spend like 25 tickets entering and then like go one and two by the skin of your teeth like barely miss out on the two and one and then like get nothing basically so that's that's like a big kind of deterrent for me so maybe it's worth asking about the phantom cues returning but unfortunately i don't think that that's going to be happening happening this time around yeah i mean People want balls, and I think, but one of the big factors for it returning is probably also the price of the monkey. Yeah, yeah, just, absolutely, just absolutely crazy. Like 130 ticks for a, for a single card. On it is, which yeah. is in print. Like it's not like some old card. Yep, it is really, really insane. Desire for. I mean, it's kind of like it's weird because it's like a meme, right? I mean, that that's just kind of how like things in these sets work. It's like haha like this is uh like karizev's you know token and like has its own card or like haha urza saga like it's a set and it's now a card these things are like (laughs) majorly warping formats and that means they have huge price tags so these like joke cards are actually like very serious like forces to be reckoned with and (laughs) it's just kind of like a weird thing it's like magic isn't like taking itself seriously but like we are all forced to take cards like Ragavan and Urza Saga seriously. And it's funny too that like, you know, the strong cards in MH2 show up obviously in MH2, the format, but also in the Vintage Cube. And you can kind of like use that overlap to think about, okay, like, well, what is Wizards going for by like, you know, saying, hey, no one's drafting AFR, let's put these formats on and giving players maybe a little taste of what's going on in Constructed, too. And yeah, Ragavan yeah, is just... People not drafting AFR so much, I think it's not like a, a big problem there. Because um, the queues are still firing super quickly on Arena, so that the newer player target base is receiving the product more well than the outspoken streamer and <laughs> Twitter community of grinders. And yeah. they reach their goal. I think there's no... There's no big resent from Wizard's side with, with AFR, I don't think. No, I think you're right. But it's also um, kind of interesting to note that, like, you know, these formats that were, like, released in almost an emergency way onto Magic Online are formats that people can't play on Arena. You can't play a Vintage Cube yet. Notice the yet because it does feel like with Historic, that's sort of what they're going for. <laughs> they're just slowly oh, yeah. implementing, yeah. The first um, few times the Vintage Cube will be around on Arena, it will feel so different from MTG, although I'm pretty sure. 
Yep, it will. But I think, um, unfortunately for MTGO, it's all downhill from there. As soon as you get Vintage Cube on Arena, then I think the primary reason you have people on MTGO becomes constructed. And then, yeah. I mean, that's that that's spells true. doom for us, but... <laughs> Probably also spells some percentage of doom for constructed because they need the packs to be opened for the for the economy to stay sustainable unless they completely change around the treasure chest um, economy and like put way more cards in each chest to keep things going i don't know they might be able to figure it out somehow cut cut limited completely out there that would be sad but well uh i'm learning how to get back into chess so when magic online does inevitably crumble to the ground i'll have something else to do no i'm just just kidding i mean i think it's far in the future but it could be uh inevitable in some ways yeah i think it is Um, like 10 years from now maybe or something i don't think it would happen soon but um. yeah might happen sooner than we think though that's that's the thing i'm worried about i don't want to overestimate how much time we have left (laughs) Yeah, um, I don't know. But so another thing, going back to MH2, that was kind of a big tangent, but still a worthwhile one, I think. Yeah. So I've seen a bunch of professional players talking about just how good of a set it is. I remember there was a downtime on the last day Modern Horizons 2 was available, and you had a bunch of complaints from these pros about not being able to draft the set. And so now that the set is back, I mean, <laughs> obviously, like you mentioned. Uh, there are quite a few sharks, literal pro players, infesting the waters, and <laughs> still a really great set. Not a super easy one to draft, given the EV, like I mentioned, or the uh, you know level of the competition. But if yeah. you can, if you can hang, then definitely would recommend. I think I'll probably try getting back into the sealed format, but we'll see how things go. Yeah, one of the reasons why I think the set is well received and very good is that for example red white it's an aggressive deck with a with a twist with a theme and what they did in modern horizons 2 is allow a big overlap between their themes so Hmm. seems like you might be segueing into something else here (laughs) yes i am like i I read a very nice a very short but nice article by architas on cube cobra we will link that posted already a month ago but they talk about something that is happening in not like they go more into detail it also happens in other formats from wizard side where they specifically choose archetypes for two color pairs to help out and overlap with archetypes from adjacent two color pairs so with the red white one of the examples would be that it overlaps with blue-reds or delirium theme in the way that the red-white cards often artifact creatures, giving them two card types to easily enter the graveyard to fuel delirium, for example. Mm-hmm. You also or... have like blue-white, which is, yeah, like an artifact, another artifact-focused archetype. You have green-white uh, if you want to talk about counters and modular, but yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, they 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 frame this a triangular design, and they advertise it uh, bigly for for cubes. And I think it's a very great idea and a nice thing to do because it 
still allows you to have these thematic two-color paired decks that give people uh, like a handrail to see what they're meant to be doing, but still allow them to switch lanes quite easily or even draft um, three-color decks and not only two-color decks. Because mm-hmm. like in my Mad Peasant, I would say it's going a step back. The two-color pairs, they are always very thematic, but they and they don't necessarily overlap between archetypes. So mm-hmm. it's not re- you don't really gain all too much by playing a shard. I try to maximize the number of overlap cards, which just happen to work in both archetypes or in two archetypes, but they aren't necessarily between always the same two archetypes. So there's a little bit overlap between black red and black green, but mm-hmm. it's only like two, three cards and then, or maybe four or whatever. But then other overlap cards overlap to a completely different archetype, meaning that you're not really incentivized to play Junt in my cube. There's <laughs> no reason to have a Goblins Graveyard Matters deck mixed. Yeah. And right. yeah, so it's much more um, railroady once you know which road you want to go down. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's little reason to later in the packs like add another color. Right. It, like the idea is, my hope is that people can still pick these overlap cards early and then see what's open and then find the lane slowly and not just be locked into one thing from pick one pack one that would be a very boring draft (laughs) but yeah this triangular cube design is going one step further and modern horizons 2 is doing that amazingly i would say but this this thinking about modern horizons and reading this article made me start to, to compile a list of like well-supported two-color archetypes in the hopes of later like giving that um, people as a resource so they can more easily choose their archetypes to get closer to a triangular design. But I also noticed that it is basically impossible to have like like interconnectivity between everything. <laughs> yep. You always will have adjacent two-color pair combos that are overlapping in one color but still don't have a thematic or synergistic overlap it's impossible to have it everywhere and yeah yeah the only way to achieve that is basically have all of the two color pairs care about the same thing which then leads to just a theme cube which is also very nice but very different and yeah you are you have a experience in uh, first do you would you agree that this is like the scale basically or um do you see any big uh, big flaws in my understanding there? Um, I wouldn't say I see any like big flaws. I think your scale is done pretty well. The one thing I remember from that article is just that they mentioned that um, kind of good stuff environments can also be kind of like a four, but also a one. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, like when when there's like no <laughs> no middle ground, it's like, either everything synergizes or nothing does it feels i don't know it's very similar in that like you don't have an incentive to go into one particular lane or another and i feel like that's a big part of triangular design right like it's about incentivizing like combination of lanes yeah and yeah it's actually something that i like i didn't know the term for it and it's uh, always really validating and just like 
enjoyable to read about things that I've been thinking about and, you know, realize that other people have been thinking about them too. And so, yeah, in my limited as Garfield intended cube, I definitely have been shooting for some triangular design. I think like the best place you could probably see it is in my like soul tie wedge. And you see like green, black and blue, black are trying to reanimate stuff, uh, but in different ways, like blue, black is trying to play more of a controlling role. Green, black is trying to play like a little bit more of an aggressive and mid-range role. And then you see like green, blue, which is trying to play the same kind of payoffs uh, that blue, black and green, black are in terms of reanimation targets. But instead of trying to reanimate them, just trying to cast them. So that would be like, yeah, what I think is like my most cohesive example of like triangular design. But then there's some others in that one as well. And yeah, like you said, it's this really kind of like weird, like double-edged sword, I want to say, that there's not like an amazing way for everything to overlap. Like you, it's just so difficult to make it so like the triangular design works for every wedge or every shard. I think it, it's, it won't. Yeah. You can try to get it to work for as many as possible, and that's fine. What I feel like would be a nice help for people is that like you choose a few archetypes that you really want to design and then like find the specific archetypes that fill the gaps to have as much overlap as possible while obviously never reaching like a hundred percent of uh, interconnectivity between the archetypes and that's still probably a great play experience. Just even thinking about it in a small way will already make it steer you in the direction that makes it less railroady. Yeah, and I think that's where like that resource that you were talking about really could make a huge difference. I've already started, if you want to call them cubes, a couple ideas for cubes, I'll say, where I had like a really clear picture of one archetype. And then I started thinking about how other things could synergize and try to fit together like triangularly. And I couldn't really figure it out. And so I just kind of set it aside and say, okay, I'll return to this later. But, you know, without anything super accessible to kind of think about other archetypes, it's really a big deterrent for me to like try to go through that again. And I can't tell you too how many like new cube designers just like don't know what everything should do. Like, even if you're just looking at like 10 color pairs, like 10 is a lot. Um, you have to figure out a lot of stuff just to try to set up, like, your first cube. Like, big hole. Yeah. Um, so, I feel like, on the one hand, like, there's this kind of, like, instinctive desire for everything to overlap somehow, and just, like, create, like, the five wedges and five shards, and somehow everything is triangular and everything works. And we know that that realistically is impossible. I mean, they didn't do it for MH2. <laughs> and there they had so much more freedom because right. they can just make new cards up to fit the gaps or make up new keywords or whatever. Like, yeah. they can do that, but yeah. they didn't. And that shows you how hard it is. And as a cube designer, you're even more constrained. You have the cards that are printed. And if um, even if you find, like, the perfect archetype mix, maybe some of them are, like, trash tier power level and some others are vintage cube power level just from the like if one of your archetypes is i don't know some super strong 
ramp with crazy big late game bombs and the other one is i don't know dog tribal or whatever then <laughs> i don't know how you would end up there but you might okay. even though they seem to fit get in the problem that the cube is not balanced anymore so it's really hard like so many things are are in your way there so just trying to get a few of them to overlap already makes the experience better and you can't like make the perfect triangulated cube to des designed cube right and i feel like that's kind of the art of it right like there is no like perfect way to do it and that means that like it's allowed to be subjective people are allowed to have some overlaps without everything overlapping yeah um, it's so hard to figure out like what is most enjoyable i don't think we have enough experience to say and obviously that would be subjective too but i don't know just a really interesting thing to think about and the other thing i wanted to mention is and like you've alluded to this a bit but like just because we're talking about shards and wedges doesn't mean you actually have to play a shard or a wedge right so like one example would be like these kinds of designs really make drafting interesting like as well as you know things like deck building gameplay etc so you can take a card let's say uh just convenient example in my peasant cube you can take a black reanimation spell and you're set up to either go into blue black or green black because of the overlap of the archetypes you can take a black sacrifice card and you're set up to either go into red black or white black um yep. and so that's just like you don't have to play like all three colors you don't have to play sulta you don't have to play mardu but the point is like you have that flexibility and you know that prevents cards from being like railroady like you've mentioned and like kind of parasitic yeah, and it's too. naturally more easy to find overlap cards than later so if you have very distinct archetypes that don't have a natural overlap you can still find overlap cards that allow pivoting when picked early but it's much harder and there are fewer of them that is one thing that i just for the sake of like circularity will say it kind of makes me think that we do have quite an advantage when it comes to triangular design right because we know which archetypes overlap and which ones don't whereas like people drafting our cubes really aren't as well aware of that i mean they can take the time to put it together um or I've they can take the time to read the cube description <laughs> sometimes but most right. of the time they don't want to do that and i can really understand that yeah i don't always do that either often i do because i'm curious but right. a couple other things about the modern horizons 2 archetypes so we've lauded uh the set you know a few times in a few ways already but there are some archetypes that are like pretty parasitic like you have black green elves red green storm these are not decks that really overlap with anything uh, but they're there and they're still part of the format. People still really enjoy the format, even the limited format, despite these archetypes. So it's not like just having a couple that don't overlap with things very easily is really going to prevent people from enjoying it, which is interesting to note. Another thing that's very interesting to note, the archetypes for the set were not going to be originally what they ended up being. So I know red-white was going to be the very original theme of equipment and black green was going to be elves and black green is elves we've seen i think in commander legends and in call time recently and then red white is equipment we've just seen like five times recently or just some absurd like number like that 
not to mention in um, AFR as well. And it's funny because like we're talking so much about archetype overlap. We're talking about overlap like with other archetypes within the same set. We're not talking about like overlap across sets <laughs> with the same yep. themes, but that's actually kind of a big problem too. Like sets don't really feel distinct if you're just kind of doing the same thing every time. If your green light deck is always a go wide deck, for instance, like, I don't know. Like, what's the difference between yeah. like why? It's anyway. a small line to tread also for making your cube. Like, you don't want like everybody has the feeling that they want their to be different, they want their archetypes to be different, and then they make it harder for themselves by, for example, excluding green white, go white, because the token like a tokeny archetype has very nice overlap with other uh, like a, a nice overlap and an easy to achieve overlap with other archetypes. Just the two you just mentioned. An equipment archetype and a token archetype, overlapping maybe in white they do play well together. Like having equipment for your tokens is one way of making them into forces to be recompensed. So there is an overlap there and plays well together. So by restricting yourself in saying, I want my cube to be something special and not using these like run-of-the-mill archetypes, you're also making it harder for yourself, which is a balance to be found. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I think that it's okay to use the run of the mill archetypes, like you said. Like, yes, there is a balance to be found. I've definitely used a bunch in the cubes that I've created. And at the same time, we have someone like Turn to Stormcrow creating the color shifted cube, our previous podcast guest. And um, like, there are just zero, like, you know, traditional archetypes in that one. And that's really cool too. But I think what it comes down to is like, we are getting so many magic sets like in a year these days, so many environments that are supposed to feel distinct, and I'm just not really convinced that they are. And this is a concern particularly with the two like Innistrad formats that are coming up. Like one is werewolves and one is vampires, and that feels like one archetype each. It doesn't feel like one set each. So I'm just... A little confused, I guess, about how how all that's going to work. If, whether it's uh, vampires or werewolves, in the end, it's just uh, one different word and timeline. It could be exactly the same set, just different art and different um, creature type. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny. <laughs> that would be very funny, but I don't think they to do that. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> they they had uh, April's Fool to announce it then. <laughs> Spoiling a card from each set, which are exactly the same with a different timeline, different art, that would be something. They probably have that in the set, right? Yeah. They gotta have one they gotta have one just vanilla creature which is exactly the same in both sets, just different art and pipeline. At least for one card. Like if they skip that joke, I would be very surprised. I mean, in like Fate Reforged and Dragon's Tark here, we had like Summit Prowler. I wanted to hear a little bit about the far end of the scale with the theme cubes where basically everything can overlap a little bit how's your star wars cube coming along or is it even still called the star wars cube or did you change the name that's yeah i mean that's a great question i'm guessing you probably have some insight there about uh well what it says on cube cobra so 
Yeah, I would say that um, just the off the bat, like the fact that there's no green in the entire cube, well, uh, with an asterisk, which I'll come back to in a second, that already tells you like it's not easy to make <laughs> everything overlap, which is something we've been saying already. But I mean, what does green do with artifacts, right? If you go to double masters, that's something I said on Twitter recently, like green's main relationship to the artifacts in Double Masters, the really cool artifact set, was just blowing them up. <laughs> Which is not <laughs> quite as synergistic or as satisfying as, like, what the other colors are doing, right? Yeah. And, yeah, so my cube, I really wanted it to be like, a theme cube in the sense of, like, representing the Star Wars like universe at first, and that's why, like, vehicles were important. And at the beginning, like the very beginning, like mono green was like Tron because the lands like from, I don't remember which, I think it's a core set, but they really evoke Star Wars. Like it would be difficult to look at them and not think Star Wars, the Tron lands. I think that it's is. the 8th edition, right? Yeah, I think that sounds right. And like from there, I just kind of realized that it wasn't working exactly. Like it could be a cube, right? It's something I could do, but that's just not really like kind of thing i'm happy with i don't want to create something that um you know has a really a bunch of really cool like homages in artwork and puts like function and like playability second i want things to play well more than i want them to like look good and evoke something cool (laughs) that's always been like kind of a conflict for me like with uh commander decks and things like that too so I've really started breaking away from the idea of like representing the Star Wars like universe. And just at this point, it's like artifact synergy cube question mark in terms of the name. Um, not even sure if I want to keep the vehicles, even though I do think the vehicles are a nice touch. Um, like obviously if I wanted to turn it into an equipment theme for like red, white, that has way more support. <laughs> these days especially than like vehicles does but i don't know i feel like vehicles like there's something kind of compelling about them still and like they play interestingly and black cares about colorless things that's something in particular that um i've been finding like it seems like i want to have multiple strategies per color pair to try to make things distinct in this world where there is no green because like I can have red black and I can take a hint from AFR and say like looks like this treasure stuff is really pretty powerful. So I can devote some of the like signpost cards to that. But I can also devote some of the signpost cards to like the um Battle for Zendikar block like colorless matters stuff. And then I have like servos and thopters and vehicles, things like that that are colorless creatures and those like create synergy too and i feel like that is really like (laughs) probably my best option it's such a weird one right because the overlap is like from the base level like the fact that just about every card in the cube like has the word artifact on it somewhere (laughs) Mm -hmm. um but like yeah but even though that just gives you like a baseline to work from for you like more quickly gets obvious to you which cards might be interesting from new sets which might fit 
and it allows the the drafter to really grasp what's going on and have a degree of freedom. But also you can like mix and match easily. That's just right. nice. Like I can't wait to play this again. I know you've been tinkering a lot on it. And... Yeah, we're really getting close at this point. I think I'm about at 360 cards, but I'm not sure they're like the 360 cards I want to draft. And I'm also not sure how many cards I want per pack. I've been looking at 12 for my Peasant Cube. I think I might try 13 just in case. <laughs> but anyway, we can come back to that another time because too many words to say about that. Yeah, I'm glad you're looking forward to it because I feel like it's really within my grasp. And I guess the last thing I'll say about like that cube and like the overlap is it feels like so sure on a base level, like things overlap because they're artifacts and other things care about artifacts. But like beyond that, the cards themselves like overlap in archetypes, even if the archetypes themselves don't overlap in like a very triangular way. So like one example would be like Hangerback Walker. So say like your white black deck is focused on sacrificing things. Say you have hidden stockpile, right? And you're like interested in sacrificing things and getting revolt and making servos and whatnot. And like Hangerback Walker is really good for that because when it dies, it's just going to make a ton of thopters, right? But it's also really good in the <laughs> kind of dark horse archetype, uh, the KCI deck, because whenever you sacrifice it uh, and you're like going through a loop, you're netting mana from it because it produces at least one token every time you sacrifice it. So you cast it uh, with X equal to one. Two mana extra, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. So <laughs> it's just kind of like a funny example like i can't really say like the kci archetype overlaps with like another archetype because that just wouldn't really make sense the cards on like an individual level do and oh i have to i was gonna like try to save some discussion about this card for a different time but oswald fiddlebender i've been more excited about that card than i have about like <laughs> a card for so long like that card just looks so awesome to me there are so many really cool things you can do with it even if it's just like chaining like a, a chromatic star into like an icker wellspring and then sacking that wellspring drawing another card into you know something else like, i mean it already sounds like very juicy <laughs> <laughs> yeah right so yeah and you can also do combos and yeah great. exactly yeah yeah so i'm I'm really excited to see where this is going to go because like I'm not the first person to come up with an artifact cube, not even the first person to come up with like a KCI archetype. But no, I might... you don't have to be the first like <laughs> just you work on your own environment, you try to to make it play well and um keep keep updating it and many cubes can exist like yeah in similar spaces but still very different. Right. Um we are going to have to play it maybe a little bit less often than I would like because of that lower size, like about 360 cards, but I'm not sure that'll really discourage too many of us from wanting to play it. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. And looking forward to that um, reminds me that I'm also looking forward to all the different not yet revealed cubes. <laughs> yep. And cube drafts of our own as well. Always a good time to remind listeners that if you haven't joined our discord what are you waiting for you know this is a great place for uh discussion about all the formats we've been talking about throughout this episode 
where we host our own drafts on Magic Online, Chaos drafts, Cube drafts, possibly some flashback drafts coming up too. Uh, we'll see. And ask for input about your cubes. Right, yeah. We have many very helpful people. Yeah. Just come and ask, and you will get probably more feedback than, uh, than you can incorporate, like, because different people have opinions and don't always uh, <laughs> work at the same cube at the same time. But if you are feeling a bit lost or need some ideas, yeah, talk, talk to us. All right. Well, yeah, thank you very much for listening through this episode. Is there anything else you want to add, Jakob, or are you good to wrap up here? I'm good. All right. Well, looking forward to what we're going to see in the future, like Jakob mentioned. Hope to see you uh, joining our server. Let us know what you think of the episode as always. And yeah, we'll be back soon talking to you more Cube and Chaos. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Happy Cubing. Bye.